Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. Hi, welcome to our radio program here from Valley Community Church. It's good to have you here this morning. And I want to say before we get started today that if uh, you have been listening to our program and enjoying uh, the ministry from Valley Community Church, would you let us know? You can write us at info at valleychurch.us. That's info at valleychurch.us. And just let us know that uh, you've been enjoying our program here today. And that really helps us to know uh, what we can do. And if you've got any suggestions or ideas of what you would like to hear taught on or talked about, uh, we would certainly like to uh, look into that for you. Well, at Valley, we are in a series right now called You Asked For It. And this is part four. If you've missed any of the parts, you can go to our website, valleychurch.us, and you can uh, go ahead and and uh, listen to those other parts. Also, I'll mention that we have an app, and you can go to Valley Church Weldon, Valley Church Weldon, and download our app where we have uh, many more resources for you. And it's a wonderful app that allows you to connect so many things as far as your Bible reading plans, so on and so forth, and to just know what's going on at Valley. And so in part four today, I actually am going to answer three questions that were asked. And so we're just going to jump right in today. The first question was, how do I pray more effectively? How do I pray more effectively? So what we want to look at and start with is to to talk about the idea that prayer is an intimate relationship. It's an intimate relationship. It's, It's a conversation. It's our time to talk to the one who knows us best. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, we are reminded that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And there is this definite feeling, this sense that this is the very heart of God speaking to us, communicating to us, that that's exactly what God wants in a relationship with us. Hence, the whole idea of God sending his son to be there for us. God also says that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And because that is true, then we know that uh, the whole idea of Christ coming to the earth and, and showing himself to, to be a lover of mankind, to, to, experience, uh, to experience among us, just as John said, that, you know, that which has been among us and shown his love and who's ministered to us, this is God. He is the word of God. He was manifest God himself among us, Emmanuel. And, uh, and so that's a very powerful thing. And so Jesus encouraged us both to pray, not only to pray to the Father, but he, he, he said that you can ask in my name for anything and God would do it for us. And so there's so many wonderful things that take place when we uh, begin to pray. And, uh, but one thing I wanted to point out in John chapter 15, Jesus in his ministry is always referring to God as his heavenly father. Now, this is kind of a new concept. Of course, we know that the ancients referred to God, Yahweh, Jehovah, and there was a sense of complete awe and reverence. And But it was all wrapped up in the idea with, with in the Mosaic, you know, in the, uh, the Moses uh, work, covenant of works, that you could not approach the mountain. You, you could not go to God without sacrifice. You could not go without Moses essentially going for you when he was here, and then, of course, the temple and the whole nine yards. And, and yet, Jesus is talking to the Father 
in a very intimate way. Now, of course, we could expect that to be the case. He is the Son of God, after all. His Father is literally God, virgin birth, Mary. And so the disciples would, of course, expected that as Jesus would talk about his heavenly Father, quote-unquote. But we get this wonderful scripture in John chapter 16, verse 26, where Jesus says, look, I am talking to the Father, you know, on your behalf. But he says something really amazing. He says, from here on out... You can talk to the Father on your own behalf. He is your heavenly Father. And he says, you can approach him and ask him and talk to him in my name. And what he's saying is, look, this, and what he's referring to is the whole work of the gospel that restores us to our relationship with our, our heavenly Father. He's our creator. He's our God. And this work of the gospel, this work of the cross is this restoration, this work of adoption, this work of restoration and being uh, reconnected to our creator is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. So we can talk to him. And that's the bottom line here is that we can talk to God and Jesus is inviting us to do so in his name. Now, so we know that prayer is a conversation and, and, and sometimes I think we really need to demystify prayer. We, we, think about, you know, having to be in the right attitude with the right uh, tone of voice and maybe throw in some these and thous, get our, get, you know, uh, sharpened up on our King James and, and, and think that we're impressing God in any way. Now, I agree that it's important that we approach God with reverence and awe and respect. I no doubt. But at the same time, I think God wants us to be real, that God wants us to be intimate. And there is that wonderful connection between father and daddy. And both are true when it comes to our relationship with God. So as a, when we have a daddy, we run into his arms. And sometimes, you know, even when daddy's not ready for us. And, uh, and there's definitely this, this, this idea that we have this invitation to come to God, to talk to God. And it is a conversation. And uh, of course, Jesus taught us. He said, look, if you're going to pray, pray like this. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 3, he talked about um, approaching God with our need uh, for our daily bread. And of course, this is a template. This, this, this prayer is kind of a template. It's not, we, we shouldn't look at that prayer as an incantation that that is exactly how we pray and then it, and it does something magical. No, it was a template. It was uh, a suggested prayer outline. In other words, he said, look, Worship the Father, worship God, and then, you know, ask him to, to, to help you with temptations, to help you move forward in your relationship with, with God, to, to grow in your spiritual maturity. And then he says, you know, talk about your daily bread. Now, he's not just saying, you know, only praying about bread. He's talking about, you know, pray for your meat, pray for your money, pray for everything else that you need. He says, bring these needs, and this is what Jesus is saying, bring these needs to God and, and, and let him know what it is that you need. What are you running short on? What is it that you need in order to fulfill the God's purpose for your life? And we need to get specific about that. Jesus is inviting us to do that. He says, look, while you're praying, talk to him about the temptations you're experiencing. Talk to him about the needs that you have in your life. Talk to him about what is going on around you. To forgive your sins, of course, and to forgive others when they sin against you. To keep your heart clean and to uh, let God into the everyday, everyday uh, aspects of your life. So prayer is st strengthened, of course, by this particular truth that I've already mentioned there in Hebrews 13, verse 5, that he, is, he will never leave us nor forsake us. But I want to ask you a question today. How does he do this? 
How does God never leave us nor forsake us when you think in terms of, well, we know that God the Father lives in glory in the heavens, okay? We know that Jesus Christ ascended to the Father and is now sitting at the right hand of God right now. So how is it that he will never leave us nor forsake us when he is physically in his resurrected body in heaven? Okay, so you could say, well, it's because he's watching this because God is everywhere present. Well, let's, let's take it a little deeper. Let's, let's look at what the Bible actually says. And that is we've been given the Holy Spirit. That's right. <clears throat> Jesus said, I'm not going to, when I leave you, the Holy Spirit will come. He will lead you into all truth. He will comfort and lift you up. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So you're getting it? God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are one. And so Jesus is fulfilling his promise by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he comes inside you. Revelation talks about how he will come in and he will sup with us. Have, you know, He will uh, fellowship with us, that koinonia, that, that wonderful connection. So that is how God does it. So I can be driving, God's there. I can be in my home, God is there. I can be at work, I can be at school, I can be anywhere. And God is with me because he, and you can't get any closer than God being inside you, my friend. When God is inside you, (laughs) that's as close as you're going to get. And so he is there and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And when you think of prayer, isn't that an awesome thing? Because John says, uh, I'm so, yeah, John writes about the prayers of Jesus there in chapters 14 through chapters 17, all through there. Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf, on the behalf of the disciples that God gave him. He prayed about the future. And what he's talking about is he's really asking the Father to help us have the same kind of relationship that he has with the Father. And so we know with the Holy Spirit that this is going to happen. Now, i got to tell you, this, this is my experience, and it's so many Christians' experience. If that is not your experience, then I encourage you to just continue. First of all, again, it begins with belief, it begins with faith, and they begin to walking in that expectation that God is there. Well, the belief that God is there, and that the Holy Spirit has filled you. That is indeed, if you've asked Christ to be your Savior, Holy Spirit is there. And all you have to do is begin praying and, and talking to God, talking to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and asking them to comfort you, to strengthen you, to, to um, teach you, and to lead you into the ways of truth, and uh, to wipe away the tears, to, to uh, push away the confusion, and to open the doors of blessing into your life. That's what God wants to do. And so it comes through prayer. So when you think of the Holy Spirit living inside you, and, and Jesus said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you, we put all this together, and we get this very powerful connection that prayer now is even, even more intimate, even more of a reality than what you would find in the Old Testament. Because in that sense, you know, they had to have a sacrifice, they had to have the temple, and there had to be a manifestation of the presence of God, the Shekinah glory. I mean, we got it all in Jesus Christ. We have it all in him. And, um, and I love James chapter 5, verse 16, that says, the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous person or a righteous man, as it says, but a righteous person avails much. That's cool. That means we are going to have an effectiveness in our prayer through two couple of things, all right? A couple of things. Uh, Number one, that our prayer is fervent, okay? And fervency means it's regular, it's passionate, it is 
uh, with intentionality. That it's, again, not just incantations. Now, I, I use that word a lot, and maybe I shouldn't, but the truth is, I think some, we think in those terms that there's just something magical that happens when we just say the words. That's what I mean. But when it's, a, when it's fervent, it's coming from the heart. Okay, that's the goal here, is for this to be an intimate relationship coming from the heart. All right, that, that you're, and you understand that you're talking to God and that God's ready to talk to you. You know, it's not like we're yelling across from one mountain to the other and letting our prayer reverberate. No, this is a face-to-face thing. This is not writing a letter and hoping that God will pick it up, okay? This is knowing that God hears every word that comes out of our mouth and know, know that he loves to hear us ask him and talk to him. So fervency is that real passion that will come. And then he says the second part of that is the righteous person. Now, wow, that really shuts a lot of people down. They go, oh, well, I'm not so righteous. So my prayer, you know, God's not going to listen to my prayer unless I'm righteous. Well, look, my friend, I think what you're equating as being righteous as being perfect. You're equating righteousness as being uh, a holy person and what you do. Well, can I just remind us all that, look, none of us are perfect. We, of course, we know that God is looking to perfection, but the perfection has been performed in the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for you and I to walk in a perfect righteousness. What is righteousness anyway? It's not just being good. Righteousness means literally being in right standing with God. And how do I get in right standing with God? Well, in the old covenant, it was that I would do right, think right, believe right, live right. Okay? But in the New Testament is that Jesus believed right, walked right, lived right, did all the right for us. Now, that's not to say that we, need to, we, we don't walk in it. Of course we walk in it. But it is he who set us free in order to walk in it. But where we fail, in where we struggle, where we fall short, that's where Jesus in his work and his blood has set us free. So we can pray fervently with this understanding that I've been made righteousness. And what does he say? That when I know that I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I've been brought into this wonderful relationship with the Father because of what Jesus did for me. Now, now I can add the passion. I can add the, 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 the uh, privilege of being able to stand before the Father and ask him. And what it will do, it will avail much. It's going to do awesome things. It's going to be answered. It's going to change my life. All right. Question number two was, how do I witness more effectively to my family? How do I witness more effectively to my family. And I'm going to go through this one very quickly. And uh, it is harder to witness to our family because they know us, don't they? And so you're, you know, this individual who wrote this obviously is, is, is having a tough time. And, you know, you, and that happens a lot. You know, and Jesus told us that, that that would happen, that in the last days that brother would betray brother and, and children to parents and parents to children and that there would be a separation in the house when it came to uh, a believer's faith. Uh, however, there's also the scripture that talks about how uh, our household uh, would come to Christ as a result of one of them. And we saw this in the, in the New Testament take place, especially in the book of Acts, where the jailer who got saved and then went home and led his whole family to Christ. So this happens, and it's, and it's really a regular thing. But it, it is a challenge sometimes when you have lived your life in such a way that um, they just don't believe this conversion. 
they don't believe. And so they kind of look at us and just say, well, I don't know. You know, you used to be mean, you used to be a drug addict, you used to be an alcoholic, you used to, you know, you used to be a very vile person. I can't imagine you, you know, becoming a Christian now. What, what is that all about? And so sometimes our family members, uh, you know, can doubt it. Well, all I can say to that, well, many more things, but I will say this, that you don't need to give up. All right. Don't give up. The gospel in the end is not about just being good enough. It is that God has made a way for us to go to heaven. Okay. So it is about heaven. So if you focus so much with your family members on the, the change and the becoming a better person, well, that's not where the hope really lies. The hope really is that, you know what, when I die, I'm going to heaven, that this life is not the end, that the hope of, of our future is that we will be in heaven with Christ and we'll be in heaven together. See, that's the thing that really bothered me was that this idea that I would go to heaven without my family. And so what we find in, in the scriptures, and in, in one verse I'm going to look at a little bit here in a second, is that like in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. That's right. When my life and your life gets changed, we have a new passion, and we want to go after our family members, and we want to reach for them, and we want to tell them and to say, look, I can't bear to go to heaven alone. I want it, you know, or without you. So this is so simple. It's so good. It's so wonderful. I want to share this with you. So to talk more about heaven is a wonderful uh, approach, but you know. But you can say, well, still, I don't. Um, you know, I, I still. Maybe that's not being as effective as you hope. That maybe you've already shared that part of it. Well, and maybe it's because they are still doubting the effective change that has taken place in your life. So here's the deal: go ahead and start living it. And so here's some quick advice when it comes to being a testimony, right? Is don't try to be something that you're not, all right? People can read through dis, a, a disingenuous person, a person who is not being genuine, a person who is putting on airs, a person who is trying to be overtly spiritual. Okay, look, you know, we can see that. We can, we can uh, get that whole feeling there. And, and we, can, we can judge for ourselves. And, and even people who, who are not particularly spiritual can see that. And so we need to stop that, okay? We need to stop trying to be overly spiritual. But just to live our lives, to just be a simple, loving person, okay? Get to work on time, all right? Be faithful. Be, be one who's, who, if you borrow something, you, put it, you give it back. And you give it back not broken, uh, that if you borrow money, that you give it back, and then sometimes with a little bit more, even if they didn't ask for it. I mean, that's what, that's what Paul said. He said, live such good lives among the pagans. Of course, he used that word. But, but live such good lives among the pagans that they cannot deny the work of God in you. And that's really, you know, part of my message is that, look, folks, when it comes to sharing the gospel and living in this culture today, the biggest thing you can do is be successful, the biggest thing you can do is to prosper in your soul and in your life materially, all right? So a lot of times we've got a lot of words, but we don't have any lifestyle to match it. And so if you want to effectively witness to your family, then just go back to work being faithful to God, being faithful to your family, being faithful to keep yourself clean, to not use foul language, to not 
you know, get into a rage and anger, but, but to, to walk this thing out, to be a loving, kind, generous person, that is the gospel being displayed in your life. That, those things speak louder than words, my friend, a lot louder than words. Now, as we do need words, there's no doubt. And the scripture tells us, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're brought before situations where you're going to have to give an account for your faith. And, and how much more would that be with our loved ones? So in my own personal experience, I'll never forget when uh, I was with in, in my family and I was 17 years old and I gave my life to Christ. It was a very powerful experience. I had a lot of passion and yet I was beginning to make some big choices in my life. I was an athlete. I wanted to play football. I wanted to be an engineer. And that was what was in front of me. And my, as my, my dad was very excited about about that. So I remember when I told my dad, hey, dad, I get, you know, my dad was a sports editor at the time and he was writing columns and, and he was very excited about one of his sons going on to play college football. So when I said, you know, dad, I'm not going to do that. I've, I've got to, I feel like I'm called to ministry and I want to go to Bible college. I want to get trained. Oh boy, did it break his heart. Matter of fact, it made him very angry. And he wanted to take me to a psychiatrist and, and to be examined for the craziness that was coming on. But I began to weep and I, I, just, I just said, Dad, you don't know what I've seen. You don't know what God has spoken to me. I wish I could you know, convey to you what it is that's going on in my life. And I remember my dad just looking at me, and, and, it, and it caught him. He could see the passion. He could see that something was different, different about me, and he backed way off. And I remember a few weeks later, I remember I was sleeping on a Saturday afternoon, and my dad was going through some very, very difficult times himself. And, and I was sleeping on a Saturday afternoon, just taking a nap, and then I heard a knock on the door. And I opened the door, and there my dad was standing. And he looked at me, and he said, David, what do I have to do? And I said, well, what are you talking about, Dad? He says, well, to give my life to Christ. And I had been obedient. I had, my life had changed. There had been so much that, that I had given up. And the transformation was very obvious to my dad. And he knew that, that God had done something in me very real. And he says, and I said, looked at him. I said, Dad, come on in here. Let's get on our knees and let me lead you to Christ. Let me share with you. And, and I had the wonderful privilege of leading my own father to the Lord, my own dad. And what a powerful thing. He's in heaven now, and, and I'll see him again. But what a powerful experience for a 17-year-old young man to, to have. And, and I'm telling you, it all had to do with my, my uh, desire to show my dad not only that my words were powerful because of Christ, but my life was being transformed because of Christ. Now, the third question I want to share with you is, is a little bit harder, and I hope I have enough time to get to this. I probably won't, but I'll do my best. But the, the third question is, why does race divide the body of Christ? Mm, that's a hard one, isn't it? Well, in Acts chapter 17, Verse 26, and it says, from one man, God brought forth every nation. Now that in the Greek, nation means ethnos. In other words, God is the one who brought forth all the peoples of the earth and every color and creed and kind. That was God. And God loves the different peoples of the earth. Now it is the peoples of the earth who have really messed this thing up that we have racism, we have prejudice. And you know, you know, we like to talk about black and white, don't we? And, and it's really been a struggle in our nation for about the last, uh, a, a resurgence of major struggle over the last decade. And of course it's been, you know, a, a blight. It's been a scar. It has been a curse upon our nation since our existence. 
And, and I think we know that historically. And if you're listening to this and, and you know this is true. And it is something that our, our nation, our culture struggles with. And, and, and certainly it is, a, it is a national sin that we continue to see uh, the consequences of. And, but I believe that the enemy is exploiting this. The devil is, it continues to exploit this. And, you know, you can expect people who do not know Christ and, and don't know the Bible to do what they're doing, to have a lot of hate and prejudice and striking out and accusation and shaming and all that. You can expect them to do that because they don't know the truth. But saved people, church people, people who know the truth, we should not be involved in that. We should not be those who are stirring up division and racial divide. We should not be those who are uh, speaking uh, hatred and vitriol and revenge and uh, trying to uh, communicate to people that they should be ashamed of their color or ashamed or walking in guilt. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's, that's not biblical. God loves every single person on this planet. God loves me. I happen to be a white pastor. I woke up this morning, and guess what? I looked in the mirror. I'm white, and I can't help the fact that I'm white. God created me this way. And yet, when I've read in the Bible, and what I continue to read is that he loves me, but you know what I also read? Is that God is no respecter of persons. And so I am no better than any other human being on the planet. This is biblical. Jesus said that the gospel has come, and, and Paul reaffirmed this, that the gospel has come to every kind, every people group, for every Gentile, for every Jew, for every white person, for every black person, from every ethnos on the planet. There's neither Greek, you know, slave or free, but all are one in Christ. This is a biblical truth. And Christians, we should be walking this out. And nowhere should this be seen more clearly than in the Christian church. Folks, we need to to get a grip on this. Because if we as Christians are a part of the problem, then where will our hope come from? And where will change come from? John tells us in his epistles, 1 John chapter 4, 6, and 8, he says, by this we know that we love God, that we will love one another. Now look at the connection here. If we don't love one another, then we have no business trying to love God. Now I know that's hard, but that's exactly what John is saying. John is saying that if you love God, then that love of God is going to permeate your thinking. It's going to permeate your understanding. You're going to see mankind the way God sees them. And that is with love for every human being and with no respect of, of persons. And not even based on rich and poor, black or white, all of that. That should be the maturing process of the indwelling Holy Spirit in every believer. And so, again, if you find yourself being caught up in the vitriol, if you're finding yourself getting caught up in this division and this hatred, then, my friend, you are being drawn away. You are being played, whether it be by the media or by some hate group or by some, you know, uh, group that is trying to bring division. We know. Now, look, the Bible tells us that that is a plan of the enemy. That is one of his tactics. Jesus said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Christian, would you think about that for a moment? Would you realize that if, if you're involved with separation and division, you're speaking the enemy's language, that you're being used as a pawn in the hand of the enemy? So if that's the case, my friend, you need to repent and you need to return back to God and you need to help him, ask, ask him to help you learn to love your brother as yourself. 
That's the new commandment that Jesus set, came and gave. He didn't say you had to go to church every Sunday. He didn't say that you had to be a perfect person. He didn't say that you had to give all your money to the poor. He didn't say any of that, even though some of that is, is a result of what he says needs to happen. What did he say the new law was? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others, even as we have been loved, and love them as ourselves. Folks, that is a tall order. That's the agape love. That is the sacrificial kind of love that Jesus himself walked in. Jesus gave his life for us. And that is the kind of love we're supposed to walk in for one another, that we're deferring, that we lay down our lives for our, our brothers, that we would be willing. And that's a far cry from where many of us are, a far cry from where many of us are. We need to ask God to help us. Why does race divide the churches? It's because I think as a whole, churches are really struggling with understanding what true Christian maturity is. So I hope I've had the opportunity of helping you think through some of these questions today. And so as I wrap it up here, let me just encourage you, get reconciled to God and get reconciled to those people around you. Because see, that is what John is talking about. To love God with all our heart, heart soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves, it, it, it means it must be practical. It must be lived out in our lives. First Samuel 16, verse 7 says that God looks at the heart and really nothing else. He doesn't look at the outward appearance of man. And, another, and, and that means every part of who we are. So instead of being a silent uh, sufferer or to be someone who's not a part of the solution, I think we need to be a part of the solution. We need to be ones who love and lead, okay, to be a reconciler. So let's not stir up division or we're not going to be blessed, but we want to be ones who lead the way in love and respect and humility and deference. We're called to serve, my friends, not necessarily to be served. God bless you, and you have a great weekend. God loves you, and we do too over here at Valley. Bless. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 8.30, 10, or 11.30 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.